Welcome to Mighty Buildings Podcast. Each episode features architects, home builders, and industry professionals sharing their experiences, failures, and successes. At the end of each episode, we'll dive into how Mighty Buildings relates to the conversation through our use of 3D printing, robotics, and automation. I'm Sam Rubin, the Chief Sustainability Officer and one of the co-founders here at Mighty Buildings. And it's my great honor today to welcome Martha Campbell, uh, one of the principals at the Rocky Mountain Institute uh, here in Oakland. Uh, welcome, Martha. Hi, thank you for having me. Ah, well, really, really appreciate it. So it's been always always great to, when I get a chance to talk with you. Always such wonderful conversations. I would love to uh, have you introduce yourself a bit and a bit about the Rocky Mountain uh, Institutes, because many of our, our listeners may not be familiar. Sure. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm Martha Campbell. Um, I've been with Rocky Mountain Institute for about seven years. Um, I'm a principal in our buildings, um, program and, uh, Rocky Mountain Institute is what we call a think and do tank focused on transitioning our economy off fossil fuels using market-based approaches. Um, we've existed almost 40 years. We were co-founded by Amory and Hunter Lovins, um, in Colorado, um, hence, hence the reason that we have our, our name. Um, and uh, we have expanded. We originally started as being fo- focused on the U.S., um, but have expanded now to have a, a global presence um, with offices in um, Beijing, um, Delhi, uh, New York, Washington, D.C., Oakland, um, Basalt, Colorado, and Boulder, Colorado. Oh, that's awesome. I hadn't realized you guys had expanded internationally as well. That's really exciting. Yeah. And and we've gotten to work with you uh, and have some great conversations around some really, really cool programs you're doing uh, on energy efficiency. Um, well, there's a couple that I would love to love for you to share more about. Uh, the first is the, the Realize program, doing some awesome stuff with uh, deep energy retrofits. And then would love to hear a bit also about the new advanced building construction, uh, ABC Collaborative, that Rocky Mountain is helping uh, move forward along with the Department of Energy and uh, some others. Yeah, so um, Realize was basically um, created to help scale a concept that we were very inspired by um, from Europe called Energy Sprung. And um, it's where they've been using um, sort of industrialized or, or offsite construction approaches to accelerating uh, net zero energy retrofits in multifamily housing. Um, the, the Energy Sprung program has done about 5,000 net zero energy retrofits um, since its inception, and it's scaling across Europe. And they now have programs in Germany and France, the UK, Italy, um, as well as now in, in New York, um, the Retrofit New York program, which um, exists within NYSERDA. Um, and then we have the Realize um, California program, which we um, launched about a year and a half to two years ago. Um, and, and we're continuing to scale the Realize program um, to new markets in the U.S. And, and the idea is that um, if we can use kind of more advanced um, construction technologies, we can we can much more rapidly decarbonize the existing building stock. Um, you know, for countries like um, your, you know, the U.S. and countries in Europe, where the majority of the building stock that will exist in 2050 already exists today, it's it's around 80 to 90 percent. Um, we really have to figure out how to decarbonize existing buildings if we're going mm-hmm. to. Um, you know, kind of meet the carbon reduction requirements um, that are required to keep us before below 1.5 degrees. 
So yeah, that's so, what so what are yeah, what are some of the when you say deep energy retrofit, what what's that look like in practice? Yeah, so um, you know, I think most people are sort of when they think of retrofitting, they think of kind of the traditional like air sealing and wrap, you know, get some cock out, cock your windows, you know, wrap your water heater, mm-hmm. you know, throw some some insulation in your attic. And those things are obviously um uh still important and we don't want to discourage anyone from doing those things. But um, what they've done in Europe is they've really sort of almost created a a new shell that wraps around the existing building to make it um, highly insulated and airtight um, and to also sort of update the building, right, to give it sort of a facelift. Um, And then um, they kind of cap it with a a highly insulated and air sealed roof um, that has... um, the racking systems for the solar pre-installed, or in some cases, the solar is already pre-installed in that um, that roof system, and it just kind of um, goes on like a set of Legos. and right. And then they have these pre-integrated mechanical systems where, you know, you don't have a hot water heater over there and a uh, you know HVAC system over here, and then your your air conditioning system over there. It's all integrated into sort of um, an uh, a system that can um, capture and recover waste heat and put that energy into other mechanical systems and they can all kind of be installed um, seamlessly in one fell swoop. So, so those are the kinds of technologies that we're seeing in Europe. Um, and, and the idea was that they looked for very common building types and developed packages that could be applied over and over again to very similar buildings. So that's kind of how, how it's different. That's really cool. No, that. I mean, I've always been been really impressed by that program and kind of that, that idea of what's it look like to deal with our existing housing stock that's not going anywhere. Um, how to and and the the real importance of, of really bringing that forward and and helping update that while still maintaining the livability of the existing space. That's uh, really, yeah, I think a wonderful wonderful program. And it's been great to to engage with you guys around that or on the panels and then talk with some of the, some of the other companies and startups you're working with. They're doing some awesome stuff on the uh, the integrated. Uh, HVAC systems and kind of consolidation, all that. I uh, would love to also hear, yeah, a bit about the uh, ABC Collaborative as well. Yeah, so um, the two obviously sort of go hand in hand. Um, you know, we started on the retrofit side because we felt like there was a lot more um, progress being made on the new construction side. Um, you know, code obviously is is a little bit stricter in, in many um, uh, jurisdictions for new construction, and so. Um, offsite manufacturers are sort of producing products that are that are more um, high performance. Um, but that being said, you know there's a lot of synergies in in um, thinking about both new construction and retrofitting at the same time, designing products that can be used um, for both, and um, and also thinking about the production line for many of these companies. Um, because what was happening on the retrofit side was everyone was focused on new construction market. And they said, well, I'm not going to, you know, basically stop my new construction production to make a retrofit product for a market that really hasn't been, um, you know, fully developed yet. And so, um, so the idea with advanced building construction collaborative is that we have this amazing opportunity, you know, in the construction sector to basically start to bring more, you know, digitization and industrialization to the construction sector, which lags 
every other sector of the global economy. I mean, they have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the construction sectors have negative growth and productivity, um, you know, over, you know, since since World War Two, basically. And um, and so we thought, well, if this sector is really going to start to, um, you know, to become much more efficient and um standardized if we miss this opportunity to make sure that performance is included in the design and construction of these buildings whether it's off-site or not we are we're locking ourselves into even more um emissions right and so um you know doe really stepped up and said we want to help sort of coordinate all of these actors in this sort of burgeoning um space of of industrial construction um, and to make sure, you know, one, that we're supporting that industry and nurturing that industry to get established because, when um, I, I can talk about this more later, but um, there's a real potential to offshore construction, which people never thought existed. And, and it's, it's a major threat to um, the largest um, sector in the U.S. economy is the construction sector, over a $1 trillion sector. And yeah. so we want to support this. Um, nascent ecosystem in our own country to protect our construction sector. But we also want to empower people to make buildings that we're all going to enjoy being in um, a lot more if they're high performance. And the planet obviously benefits. And if the planet benefits, then we we benefit as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, and going to what you're saying about the offshoring, I mean, with some of, some of the largest embrace of offsite construction that we've been seeing is like some of these hotels and some of these larger like multifamily. And if I'm correct, like a lot of the, them have been coming in from Poland or China. Yes. It's cheap. It's cheaper to import, um, you know, these modular components from a Polish or Chinese factory and bring them in on a barge than it is sometimes to, to do the construction of these buildings um, in the U S and obviously those projects have predominantly happened in very, um, dense um, urban areas like New York City, um, where the price, you know, per square foot of new construction is is just really really high. But we're seeing we're seeing that pressure across the U.S. And honestly, I even think um, the cost of construction has dramatically changed during COVID because you had this explosion oh, yeah. of people out of urban areas. They're all buying their you know, getaway home, you know, wherever, you know, wherever they've been dreaming of being their whole life, you know, COVID kind of created that reckoning. And so we've seen this massive inflation in housing prices across the U.S. in, you know, rural areas as well. And now there's a backlog for, um, you know, construction on whether it's renovating these new homes for people or building on a plot of land that they just purchased. And, and so now there's an even greater backlog that the construction yeah. sector cannot keep up with. It's been been an honored to be in the conversations with you guys, and really looking forward to it. Uh, form form finally formally kicking off and getting that ball rolling because I think the the potential is huge. I mean, the, the potential for incredible innovation here in the United States that we can apply here and really kind of bring that back and is is yeah. Obviously, we're we're big fans of it at Mighty Buildings, uh, given that it's, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> um, and and I will say, like I, I I love the Rocky Mountain Institute. Going back to when I first learned about it when I when I was at Presidio, but we we also show um, share a bit of a Michigan connection. My, my yeah. having grown up there, you're, you're having gone business school there. But one of the cool things I love about what you're doing, with Rocky Mountain Institute, is that it really is kind of at the heart of this idea of creating public private civil society partnerships 
and really kind of bringing together these resources from the various sectors to work together. Because so often you end up with uh, your private sector and your public sector and your nonprofits competing for re key resources to solve when they're trying to solve the same problem because um, they don't speak this and too often don't speak the same languages. And so that's one of the things I've always been been really excited about RMI and love from our conversations that you, you obviously you clearly understand and are multilingual in that way. Um, but going back to that, and as, as I'm, we've talked about in previous shows, we, we love learning about times when things didn't go right um, and, and kind of how that led people to your journey. And we were chatting a bit before we kicked off here and would, would love to hear uh, hear about the, what, you, what you were sharing before about when it didn't go right and kind of where you were at that time and how that moved you into this more market and not, uh, civil society space. Yeah, so I guess a, a little bit about my personal story. So um, right out of undergrad, I basically went and worked in the private sector. I went and worked at Goldman Sachs um, doing program trading in their equities department. Um, and it was, you know, obviously a, a great experience in terms of seeing how like such a powerful um, market actor sort of operates, how they see the world, how they make decisions. Um, but I also kind of felt like it was, you know, very... Um, I don't want to say esoteric, but there are aspects of it that are are very theoretical and conceptual. And I, I wanted to be closer kind of to, um, you know, getting my hands like on a project and understanding um, what 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 driving real change was like at, at the micro scale. Right. So I I um, left Goldman and I, you know, I got really into sustainability through my travels. I went to Australia and I stayed in this off the grid eco hostel and it was like super eye opening. Like, why aren't we, why aren't we doing this in the U S and, um, and so I, I came back and, and wanted to try anything related to sustainability. And so I, I got into field organizing and um, one of the field organizing gigs I had was working for the Repower America campaign, which was, um, you know, part of the Alliance for Climate Protection that Al Gore founded. And at the time we were doing um, canvassing and basically going, um, you know, door to door and talking to people about um, climate change, a carbon tax and, and the Waxman Markey and um, Kerry Boxer bills that were under consideration for putting putting in place a carbon tax. And at the time, I'd also been helping build off the grid um, homes in, in New Mexico. So all I was kind of doing all these things and, and testing the waters. And, you know, at the time that that those, you know, that um, um, carbon mitigation uh, legislation was trying, you know, we were trying to make our, our way in getting that through Congress, the Affordable Care Act was also um, being considered. And it, it was just completely plugged up the entire um, policy system. You know, it was like it took all of the administration's political and social capital to get that um, to get that legislation passed. And then, you know, midterm elections happened. The Democrats lost control of, of both chambers of Congress and all the momentum that we had was gone. And to this day, we still don't have, you know, climate legislation in place. Um, and that was, you know, that was back in 2005. Uh, sorry, excuse me, 2006. Um, and so, no, I'm still wrong. It was in 2008. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, no worries. I'm trying to make myself sound older than I am. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, it just was so eye-opening, you know, that, that that whole thing could derail such important work. So that's when I decided to pivot to market-based solutions. And so what I love about the work that I'm doing now and, and being at, at RMI 
and working with folks like Mighty Buildings is that we're we're sort of coming at this from multiple angles. We're not just thinking, you know, that policy is the only silver bullet, although it's extremely important. I don't want to un- under um, undervalue the importance of policy. Policy shapes how businesses operate and good policy gets business to operate in a certain way that benefits society and allows for businesses to generate revenue. Um, but we're also kind of looking at it from the standpoint of like, what does it take to help you know, companies like Mighty Buildings be successful? How do we help those organizations develop an ongoing and consistent pipeline of demand for what their products are, while also ensuring that those products are future-proofed, right? That they're going to be relevant as we continue to see the impacts of climate change get people's attention. The fires this year in California got our attention, right? Like, we're going to keep seeing more and more of this where, you know, there's going to become a point where, code in California is going to say you have to have airtight buildings and you have to have ventilation because we go months where we can't breathe the outdoor air, literally. So the more that we can help businesses prepare and think about that when they're kind of bogged down with their day-to-day operational activities, the more value we can provide while also helping policymakers understand what kinds of policies to implement. They're sending the right signals to industry without creating unnecessary red tape and bureaucracy that is kind of you know what makes people turn into republicans basically <laughs> that's that's wonderful and i honestly i can't wait to have you back on because i think we got through maybe a third of, of what we had planned to talk about and uh, as i said i just always always love our chance to, to have conversations because there's so many different areas that we can walk out on together. um but i just want to thank you so much martha it's really been a pleasure to have you again my guest today has been martha campbell from the rocky mountain institute um and tune in next time Thank you all. (laughs) Thank you.